CKRM is proud to be your official voice of the Saskatchewan Roughriders and your home for the hottest sports show anywhere. It's a new era for sports talk in Saskatchewan. Welcome to the Sports Cage with your host, Michael Ball. Welcome to the show, Corner 12th and Rose. It's cold, unseasonably cold. But remember in 2013 when the Riders hosted the Grey Cup and played in that Grey Cup? It was freezing. I remember the first thing I saw when I went to cover practice that first day. Hamilton Tiger Cats were more concerned about being around the heater on the sidelines at Old Taylor Field than actually practicing. Right then, I knew on that Wednesday, this game is over. It did warm up to beautiful temperatures. We are well below seasonal, but we're supposed to be okay next week as we creep into Grey Cup 109 week. And we've got some of the itinerary laid out for us. We'll get to that in a bit. We'll tell you the show's brought to you by spreads.ca. Sign up using the code CKRM, and they'll match your first deposit of 25 to 250 Fifty dollars. All our texts come to you via the Capital Ford Lincoln text line at the corner of Rochdale and Pasqua, the number one Ford dealership in the province, 936-6262. If you want to get a hold of us in text form, you can always call that number locally or toll-free, 1-866-767-0620. And all our guests, including callers, random callers, come to you via the Western Pizza hotline when ordering a Western Pizza. Ask about the Rough Rider sweet deal, and you could be in the running for a Rough Rider game day experience from a luxury suite next year in 2023, courtesy of Western Pizza. Yeah, Grey Cup week right around the corner. We still have to determine who's playing in the game, but the Grey Cup arrives Monday at 15 wing in Moose Jaw. The commissioner will be there along with one of the esteemed colonels of our military, and they will welcome the Grey Cup. Then uh, Tuesday, uh, the teams arrive. Practice begins Wednesday. I believe they're going to practice in Moose Jaw on Wednesday and maybe Thursday as well. Uh, the Grey Cup Parade. They got a pancake breakfast in uh, Saskatoon and then there'll be a run down the highway to Regina to incorporate North and South Saskatchewan and we will be a part of that. Thursday is the awards night. Ryderville and the team party start firing up on Thursday as well and we will have our show live from Ryderville from the location the International Trade Center right outside so we'll be live and on location there Thursday and Friday and we will be around the main stage too for all the great entertainment there at Ryderville like DJ Tully, Wonderland, Dead Levy, Dangerous Cheese, One More Time, Breaking Curfew, Vinyl Society, the Steadies and more. I think Tuke's going to be playing during the Grey Cup. Uh, Colin James opens things up with the kickoff party. Got lots going on, and I am getting excited for it. How about you? Are you getting excited for the Grey Cup? Let me hear. 936-6262. I know it sucks our team's not in it, but just because you host doesn't mean your team's in it every year. So keep that in mind. Uh, Edmonton Oilers forward Evander Kane is out three to four months. He's been placed on the long-term IR. He had his uh, wrist cut by the skin of Patrick Maroon. He got knocked to the ice. He's laying on the ice and Maroon, who has a tough time skating as it is, <laughs> steps uh, on his wrist and cuts it. Blood gushing out. He gets up all scared as anybody would. Gets to the bench. Gets taken to the hospital. Has surgeries out three to four months. So we wish him the best. His ex-wife is a total fool. She's on her uh, adult only or adults only fan page. She's dressed in this slinky negligee and basically saying... 
after he got hurt, everything's okay around here. And she's smiling like, uh, I'm starting to see why Evander's not with her anymore. Uh, Columbus Blue Jackets forward. Jacob Voracek is out indefinitely with an upper body injury. Valerie Nakushkin out a month after having ankle surgery. He's with the abs. And Jonathan Huberdo, the prized offseason get for the Calgary Flames is out day-to-day with an upper body injury. They are mired in a six-game skid. They lost yesterday to New Jersey 3-2. The Devils have won seven straight. Isaiah Meyer Crothers, the victim of the races bullying by NHL prospect Mitchell Miller, released a statement. Uh, Mitchell used to ask me to sit with him on the bus and then he and his friends would punch me in the head. This happened my whole time in school. When I went to junior high, Mitchell would spit in my face and call me an N-word. I stopped telling because they called me a snitch and I would get made fun of. I had to say that I was his N to sit at his table and he made me clean the whole table. He threw food in my face. In my face. I was called an N every day. The office would tell me to stay away from him because he wasn't my friend. Once he got expelled from school, his friends started bullying me. He pretended to be my friend and made me do things I didn't want to do. In junior high, I got beat up by him. Then, middle of October, I was being texted constantly every day till I answered a Snapchat and IG message from Mitchell Miller. He asked me why I always have my parents doing stuff for me and why I can't speak for myself. I told him I don't care what my parents say. I'm old enough to speak for myself. He told me he was sorry and that the apology didn't involve hockey. He told me he was doing stuff in the community and helping the youth and wanted to be my friend. I told him that's all cool, but where's the proof, though? I just want to be clear that Mitchell isn't my friend. It hurts my heart what he did to me, so I just wanted to tell everyone when Mitchell says we're friends, it isn't true. I can't take any more of this. Of course, Mitchell Miller was taken by the Coyotes early in the first round of the draft. Then all the heat came on. Then he was uh, dumped out of the draft, and the uh, North Dakota Fighting Hawks hockey team dumped him too. He was playing in the uh, USHL till the Bruins tried to add him, and now they took heat, and Cam Neely's apologizing, and so uh, I feel, obviously, you feel bad for the kid that was bullied, for sure. Um, And Mitchell Miller, too. I mean, he's still a kid. I don't want to torch him. He needs help, but the first step is to legitimately apologize and be sorry for what you did. I don't think he's come to terms with that or realize that. Uh, and, and if he ever does, we have to let him do it. We can't just say, oh, he's just doing it because he wants to get back in hockey. Eventually, that might be the end game. Eventually, although it's looking more and more like it won't. Although you wonder, how could he play in the USHL under the radar? I know it's a lesser league, but still. Anyway, uh, I don't like to torch any kids. I hope that he gets help and hopefully this other kid's Life isn't ruined, although it looks pretty bad if he has to issue a statement because now the Bruins have stirred it up again by trying to add Mitchell Miller. WHL tonight, Pats are home to Edmonton. They wrap up a homestand against the Oil Kings. Uh, Oil Kings got blitzed in Moose Jaw last night, 7-3. We'll talk to the Silver Fox, Kelly Rampel, about 4-20 about the Western Hockey League. Uh, the Canadian Bowl brought to you by AGT Foods. That's right. We are going to bring you the game, 12-45 pregame, uh, uh, 1 o'clock kickoff with yours truly and Pete Pasco, Daniela Ponticelli on the sidelines. Last time the Regina Thunder, as we told you yesterday, last time the Regina Thunder played in the Canadian Bowl, they won it in 2013 on home turf, the same year the Riders hosted a Grey Cup. And we called the game right here on 620 CKRM with this guy behind the microphone, so maybe I'm the lucky charm. 
come on, give me something. I got to have something that I can be proud of. Uh, the Raptors host Houston. They'll do it, of course, without Pascal Siakam. Uh, he was playing like a first-team All-NBA forward before he suffered an abductor strain. Now the Raptors will have to lean even harder into the year, into their uh, length and depth, including rookie starting center Christian Coloco to make up for his absence. NCAA football, Georgia, Ohio State, Michigan, and TCU, your top four teams. Tennessee and Oregon, the first teams on the outside looking in. Curtis Rourke, the brother of Nathan Rourke, threw for almost 370 yards, three touchdowns as Ohio beat Miami, Ohio, 37-21. Um, I don't, I mean, I we're, we're in Canada, so it doesn't really affect us. But um, whoever whoever your flavor is in politics, however it shook down for you, hope it went your way. Uh, but it wasn't a great night for the Democrats. President Biden was so depressed he asked his son uh, he asked his son Hunter Biden for some uppers. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel says he lost half his viewers because of the jokes he told about Donald Trump. That's that's ridiculous. He thinks those are jokes. Uh, and here's the thing. How the heck can the United States... This is true, man. So in 2020, they had all those voting irregularities and things, and conspiracy theorists came out. But you, you know why there are conspiracy theories? Because of this. Arizona and Pennsylvania had problems the last time. So now they do the midterm elections two years later, and guess which two states had the problems? Oh, Arizona and Pennsylvania, two key states. Oh, like Pennsylvania ran out of paper. The United States could blow up half the world from space, but they can't get an election right. Give me a break. You wonder why there's conspiracy theories. Um, What else? Uh, The world's population about to hit 8 billion people. But yet you could still walk around Home Depot and not get any help for like seven hours. And uh, it probably would have been seven billion if Elon Musk and Nick Cannon had worn protection. Did you hear Cannon's expecting his 11th baby? Wouldn't it be cool if one of his kids went to USC and became a Trojan? Huh? <laughs> That'd be kind of ironic, wouldn't it? Um, and if time, t- here's a question I want you to answer, besides if you're pumped for the Grey Cup. Two questions. So that one. You should be. It's Canadiana. We gotta we gotta promote it. Show show Saskatchewan can do it right, as we know we can. Uh but this one. If time travel was possible, which decade of your life would you choose to experience all over again? About your twenties, or maybe way go back go way back to toddler with no uh, responsibilities. Someone asked 2,500 North American seniors what they'd do, and their top answer would be to go back to their thirties. They were the happiest in their 30s. 20 se- uh, 20s were the second happiest. And um, what advice they were asked would they give their younger self? Some of the most common answers include accept challenges, follow your gut, be bold, stay humble, always be prepared. I would save money. There's no doubt about it. I would absolutely save money. And speaking of money... One of the uh, handprint Wilson volleyballs from the Tom Hanks movie Castaway sold at auction recently for almost $84,000. I mean, who can ever forget that heart-wrenching scene when Tom's best friend on the island, Wilson the volleyball, floats away from him. Wilson, where are you? I'm over here, Tom. Wilson! Over here on your left, Tom. Wilson! Your other left! 
thousands of miles away. Well done! A nice person paid $84,000 for me at an auction, Tom. <laughs> now I'm all clean and dry. Well done! It's time to step into the radio octagon. You're tuned to the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. Works back to center ice. Lead pass to Ronnie Smith. Splits the D. Ronnie Smith in. Shoot. Scores. Overtime winner for Ronnie Smith. And the Vegas Golden Knights run their winning streak to eight. With a 4-3 overtime win over Toronto. That's Gord Miller on the call. The Toronto Maple Leafs falling 4-3 to the Vegas Golden Knights and the clutch performance. That's what that was. Brought to you by Nick Service in Emerald Park. Your local Massey Ferguson challenger, Rogator, Gleaner, and Fent dealer. Call 781-1077. Once again, two questions for you. Are you pumped for the Grey Cup? Grey Cup 109. And the other one, if you could go back in your life, what decade of your life would you relive? Your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, maybe a toddler, no responsibilities. I'd go back to my teenage. I'd go back to 10, 11, 12, hanging out with my grandpa, craving Saskatchewan, watching. In the meantime and in between time, that's it. Another edition of Stampede Wrestling. And we start with our friend Kelly Rempel on the Western Pizza Hotline. And let's start there, Kelly. We're having a party, Ed, and you're not invited. Money talks, ballsy. That's right. I used to love watching it. I used to love watching Stampede Wrestling for like six months in a row. The first match on the tape show was always the Cuban assassin against Mr. Hito. And it always played out... it always played out the same way. Cedric Hathaway, the referee, would get distracted, get distracted, and Cuban assassin would reach in with his popsicle stick and jam Mr. Hito right in the right in the throat. Now would be it, and I'd be so mad. And then I'd go eat a bunch of popsicles. <laughs> uh, those were the good old days. Those were the, uh, you know, thinking about wrestling. That's my favorite. Stampede Wrestling from about 1982-83. Think about all of the stars that that company had back then that went on to be big-time wrestlers. When you think of Dynamite Kid, Davey Boy Smith, Bret Hart, Jim the Anvil, Nightheart, Bad News Allen, Dr. D. David Schultz, Honky Tonk Man. It's kind of hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah, so absolutely. And the reason I brought you on is to talk hockey. We're going to do this, you know, every couple of weeks, Western Hockey League, because uh, you know what's going on there better than me. But you were the ring announcer for, uh, it's called Dungeon Wrestling, I believe, and it's Brett's son that's involved. And, like, tell us the story, because you're, like, sitting ringside. You're just going to take this in. You and Brett Hart, good friends. You're just going to watch. Watch this thing, and they're like, uh, hey, uh, could you be the ring announcer? Yeah, well, what happened was is, is Brett phoned me, I guess it was about a week ago, um, maybe earlier on last week, and he just said, you know, what are you doing on the weekend? And I said, oh, I don't know. I don't really have any real plans. I plan on being – I'm busy, but I'm in Regina. Why? He said, well – my son Dallas, as you know, he said is putting on a dungeon wrestling event here at the Victoria Pavilion. And um, you never know how we could maybe use your help. And I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> but I said, well, you know, I mean, this guy's done me favor after favor after favor for, you know, 20, almost 30 years. Yeah. 
So the least I can do is help him when he needs a hand. And he said, you know, we may not need your help. But, and so worst case scenario, if we don't, you know, you just sit back and enjoy the matches. Um, so I said, okay, sure. Well, I'm there to help you or Dallas any way I can. So I flew in Friday night, stayed at his place. Saturday, we, we, we left his house and drove to the Victoria Pavilion. And within an hour, he's, they're telling me that the ring announcer... <laughs> who's one of the local media personalities at one of the radio stations, he can't make it. Would you be interested in being the ring announcer? So it was kind of bittersweet because I was, I was interested in there. There was something about being a ring announcer for one of the hearts wrestling promotions at the Victoria Pavilion in Calgary. That's pretty historic and pretty cool. But I got to admit, I had no time to prepare, and I was a little nervous, but we got through it, and we actually had a great time. Yeah, I heard you knocked it out of the park from a few people, and yeah, you're, uh, that man, if those if those walls could talk, you'll, uh, you'll look back at old reruns now and go, holy cow, I was in a ring right in that building uh, talking about or uh, introducing wrestlers and being a part of something that Bret Hart, who would have thought back in 1982-83, you're my age, you're watching it, now you're buddies with Bret Hart staying at his house and doing public ring uh, announcing for his uh, son's uh, event. Okay, let's get to hockey, Kelly, because uh, you know the Western Hockey League. Uh, you know hockey pretty well. First off, just a quick comment on what I don't know if you saw, but that was per- whether you like Evander Kane or not, that was a gross situation last night. Nobody ever wants to see something like that. It makes you sick to your stomach. I mean, I remember um, years ago, oh, my, my Buffalo Sabres goaltender. Malarchuk, Clint Malarchuk. Yes, yes. I don't know why I can never remember his name. Uh, that'll be burned in my brain forever watching the hemorrhaging that took place that night. And uh, I wouldn't say this was maybe on par with that, but it's just, it gives you that icky, queasy feeling, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's terrible. But thankfully, he's going to be okay. He'll play hockey again, just not for another three or four months because the Oilers can't have anything nice. That's what that means. Uh, <laughs> Kelly, let's get to uh, the let's get to the two teams that are closest to us. We'll start with the Moose Jaw Warriors. They uh, they smoked Edmonton yesterday, seven to three. Your thoughts on how the Warriors have started so far this year? If I'm being completely honest, I, I'm, I feel like, you know, they haven't played their best hockey. I mean, I, I know that the record is okay, and they're kind of in the middle of the division and the conference, and they're playing okay. I, I don't think anybody will say that they've been lousy or, you know, they've been horrible to watch. You know, they're an exciting team. they got a real good back end. Um, Connor Unger has given them outstanding goaltending this year which I think, you know, the record, they can thank him for a couple of the wins in there. I think their forward group is kind of yet to get going a little bit. It's the same two, three guys that are on the score sheet every single night. They need to get more from certain guys, you know, from their Europeans. Um, Robert Bacco and, and Martin Rice-Savvy would be a nice place to start. Those guys have like the invisible man kind of this year in terms of being on the score sheet. Um, so I, I actually think that when it's all said and done, I, I still think Moose is going to host, um, you know, uh, games in the opening round of the playoffs. I think they'll be a top four team. Um, and I think they got a lot more to give, to be honest with you. You've uh, been to a few Pat games this year. <clears throat> First off, what do you make of the crowds or their lack of? Now, is it is it 
Is it on? Brutal. Is is it is it worse than what we normally see? Because you know this town's a rider town, and then everything falls in in behind that. So generally, the pad crowds don't pick up till the football season's done. But uh, do you think they're worse than normal? And if so, why? Well, I, I'm going to try to give you a 45 second answer, but we could do a 45 minute because I think that there's a lot to unpack there. We live in a day, Michael. You know this. You know this. We live in a world where everybody has a 55-inch plasma high-definition television and a comfy couch. Yep. So it's never been more difficult to get people to actually, you know, leave their home and go to live music or live sports. I mean, that's just the way that it is. And coming off of COVID, I felt like it was going to go one of two ways. Um, you know, you take something away from somebody for a year or two and they can't wait to get back. They don't realize what they've missed or people fall into a different rhythm and they get into a different pattern in their life and it's harder than ever to get them back. So the Pats, notwithstanding the fact that they've got probably, you know, arguably the best, if not most exciting, marketable junior hockey player in the country in Connor Bedard. They're also coming off of COVID where I think people got into a different rhythm and routine. Mm -hmm. And let's just cut to the chase, Michael. It's expensive to go to a Pats game. I mean, I had somebody tell me the other day, if he wants to take his family of four to a Pats game now, it's close to 200 bucks. Wow. It's too much. Yeah. Sorry, it's too much. Okay. I know I'm going to take some heat for saying it, but it's the truth. Yeah, well, you're not the only one that's uh, said that. So lastly, uh, Kelly, before I let you go, because we're against the clock, your, your impressions of the Pats so far. You know, I think they're about exactly what I thought. What's that old Dennis Green line? The Pats are who we thought they were. Yeah. Um, although I think he might have said the Bears. Yeah. Um, and a little more convict and a little more conviction too. The Pats. Yeah, who <laughs> Dennis was a little more fired up. I'm not going to punch anything like Dennis did, but <laughs> you know, the Pats. The Pats are who we thought they would be. I, I knew the Pats were going to be better than last year, mostly because I thought their goaltending had to be better and it has been i think both you know uh, matthew keeper and you know young drew sim have both been noticeably especially sim noticeably better than they were last year and the only reason they didn't make the playoffs last year frankly is because they didn't get enough saves so they're getting more saves this year and they're hovering around whatever it is seventh I, I think that they're going to be a playoff team. I don't know exactly what they're going to do at the trade deadline. We could talk about that for another hour or two. Yeah. But I think that they're going to be, I think that the Pats are going to hover around 500 all year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I tell you, they better win tonight because after tonight, you know, they got, you know, a game on the road, a game at home, but then they've got 10, mm-hmm. I believe, on the road in a row. And in the next, you know, week or so, they've got Red Deer. They got Winnipeg a couple of times. Like the schedule is not going to be easy for them. So I kind of had the Pats coming in somewhere this year, Michael, with around yeah, you know, thirty to thirty-five wins. You're going to get some ties in there. So I, I think I'm going to be right. I think that if they don't do anything major. Um, they're probably going to be around seventh or eighth, which is where they are in the standings right now. 
Kelly, thanks for your time. Always articulate, great storyteller. We'll talk to you again. Hey, it's always fun to be with you, Michael. Take care. Take care, man. We'll be back with more of the Sports Cage in a moment for Spreads.ca on 620. Our house is your house. Welcome inside the Sports Cage on Saskatchewan Sports Radio, 620 CKRM. They're the names we speak with reverence or scream out loud. The names that help define us, inspire us, and build the game that we all love. Each Wednesday on the Sports Cage, we flash to the past with a legend to see if there is indeed life beyond the scoreboard. This is Where Are They Now? And I love taking a trip down memory lane with these great guests. Today we check in with former Grey Cup MVP James Johnson, who had an epic performance for the Riders on defense in the 2007 championship game. I live in Atlanta here. Uh, now I'm, I'm doing so many different things uh, as far as coaching, working with kids, uh, mentoring, and uh, just uh, being with my own family. <laughs> uh, how big's your family? Uh, well, it's, it's actually grown since I left, so... I had three back then. Now I'm, I'm up to five. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's a great thing. What's the best thing about fatherhood, James Johnson? Oh man, just being able to experience every moment of uh, you know their growth, teaching them. Uh, you know, it's just always been a blessing to me. James, what's your key message as a mentor and a and a speaker and a coach to the young athletes of the world? Well, one of the biggest things is that I I I, I try to tell my story. Um, as you know, I, I never really shared my story, but I try to share my story with him as far as someone being undersized as a, as a defensive back or just trying to be an athlete, period, and starting so late in the game of trying to play a sport that anybody could do it if you, you know, you make the right decisions and you put in the work to get you there. So I try to teach him how to just make the best decisions with every opportunity and how important decisions are. Really neat story, James Johnson. You did not play high school football, so how did you begin playing the sport of football, my friend? Well, well, I I just made a decision. It it was all based on the decision of trying to play, and I committed myself. I went to a junior college, and, you know, I I just went and talked to the coach one day and told him what I wanted to do, and, you know, he actually gave me the opportunity. He told me just come to practice each day. And from that day forth... You know, I did what was asked of me. Never complained about anything. I showed up every day to the point where it just it just went uphill from there. Like in the sense of, you know, I got better as a player. Um, I just it just really started to look good as time went on, and and uh, ended up in the CFL, right? Great Cup MVP. So yeah, we're, you know, it was a great journey and a great story. <laughs> we're gonna get to that. I love this story. So you you went to LA Junior College, if I'm not mistaken, and then you end up with Arkansas State. Were you always a defensive back? Well, when I when I first uh, went to uh, the West Los Angeles uh, Junior College, I wanted to play running back because as a kid growing up, all you knew was you know how to play offense, mm-hmm. and um, you know I was never really given an opportunity at the time, so I was just told to go play defensive back one day when they were trying to issue everyone their pads, and I said, well, okay, I'll do it, and that's where the defensive back came in. Uh, one of the coaches there. The defensive back coach at the time, I don't know what I did in practice one day, but he was like, yeah, you're my guy. He's like, you know, he saw something in me, and from that day, it was just defensive back on out. 
That's awesome. James Johnson uh, joining us here for Where Are They Now? So, James, how did you end up in Saskatchewan? Did, did Roy Shivers know much about you? I understand your college coach sent Roy a tape, but did Roy know much about you when he brought you to camp? Well, yeah, he, um, he, he had, I guess he had heard about me, uh, you know, <clears throat> being over at uh, Arkansas State. And we had some players, I guess, come from Arkansas State in the past. So um, he had a connection with the coach, so he was able to, you know, talk to him about me. I believe, I'm not sure if he was able to see the film at the time because everything kind of processed, like it kind of happened pretty fast. And, uh, you know, Roy is a straightforward type of guy. And so, you know, he believed in, you know, what he had heard and things that, you know, that had came about about me. And so he, he gave me an opportunity. And so for me, it was all about, you know, once I got there, got the training camp, just, you know, showing him that I can't play the game. And from, like, day one of training camp, you know, he just, he saw it, he came and talked to me, and, and then he just let me know then, like, okay, you're going, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, you know? And so it was, I was so thankful for that opportunity that, you know, it was, it just, it worked out so great for me. Yeah, it did. And we'll get to the Great Cup uh, moment in a minute. But uh, so you get to the to Saskatchewan, you're in training camp. What did you think of our game when you got here with the wide field and the motion and all that stuff? Well, to be honest, I was, you know, I didn't really have any expectations. It was just all about, excuse me, it was just about uh, showing what I can do. You know, every, the whole process for me as far as playing football had been, um, you know, it was all a learning experience just because, you know, it seemed like from day one I just had to learn and I was getting better each time. So getting there, I didn't have any expectation. I was kind of just had to prove myself. And so it was a little it was a little tough at first, just kind of, you know, being inside, playing the halfback in training camp and, um, you know, playing corner. But uh, I, I was pretty – you know, I was a pretty good athlete, I would think. And so, I, you know, I could have played the halfback position or corner. But when I was given an opportunity to just play corner, I was like, well, you know what? You know, I think I'm only just going to stick to corner, coach. That's okay with you. <laughs> hey, uh, what did you think of Ryder Nation and the rabid fans here in Saskatchewan? Um, and that was awesome. I really, you know, I had never felt anything like that before, to be honest. And it, it, it really felt... Um, it was very welcome. And once you you know you begin, you get there, and you, you see how close the family is. I don't I don't think there's anything better than that as far as just having the support from the fans. You know, and, and I felt like that was just the best experience for me. And I was at the right place. You know, and it also felt like that in the locker room getting there too. You could feel that sense of uh, togetherness. And so that was a that was a that was a big experience for me. What was your welcome to the CFL moment where you you're on the field, you make a play or, or you know something like that where you say, "Yeah, I belong here. Yeah, I'm comfortable here." Or did you ever have that feeling? Did you always as an underdog feel like you had to step up every day or you were going to be gone? Well, it's uh well, to be completely honest, the the fact that I had come as far as that I had had I was, you know, to be in the CFL was actually just an opportunity for me. It was actually a, a, like a, for example, like a roller coaster ride, which started back in junior junior college. Yeah. So it was all about seeing how far things would go, and being there in the CFL, I didn't put any pressure on myself. I just believed in myself, and um, and so everything was just pretty much going along for the ride. And you know, I was truly blessed to be able to play as well as I did in training camp, to actually get you know making the team and. 
you know, becoming a starter and just, you know, it was just all a true blessing that I was just, you know, I was just continue to go forward as far as it was going to take. James Johnson joining us here. Where are they now on the Saskatchewan Roughriders radio network? So you talked about having a feeling in the locker room. When you got up for that Grey Cup game in Toronto back in 2007, did you have a weird feeling about you? When you talk to guys who've done something pretty epic, if they look back on it, they, they have some kind of telltale signs looking back on it that they knew it was going to be a big day. Did you have any, like, any, any feeling that this day would be different than, than other days in Ryder Colors? Uh, to be 100% honest, I did. I um, After the, my first year, and we went down to, um, where were we, in Calgary. And we played, we played pretty well. We beat Calgary. And it was just a great feeling. And then we went down to BC. And well, in the Calgary game, I had played pretty well. I think I, I ended up with an interception or so. And, um, you know, but then when we went down to BC, and I saw that environment, and, you know, they really stuck it to us. Yeah. And at that moment, I, and I, you know, I didn't play so well, but at that moment, I realized how important it is, how, the, how, how much the game changes once you get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Like, the seriousness, the level, it, everything just is different. And so, going into 2007 playoffs, uh, that was one of the things that I had always said to any of my teammates was, you know, it's a, it's a different game once you reach the playoffs, and we had to be prepared for each game. And it was one of the same things I spoke to the team about prior to the Grey Cup. I uh, just kind of gave them a little history about growing up and where I saw myself and how I didn't know how things were going to happen, but I definitely told them that we had an opportunity to, to share something, and, uh, you know, I wanted to share it with them, and we were just, you know, I was really... Like I said, I was really tuned in and yeah. focused on, you know, just the understanding of what we needed to do. And, you know, it just to go out and play like that was just, a, you know, just was really awesome, you know. Was that was that game in slow motion for you, James? Did it, was it like it was in slow motion for you? Well, it was one of those things where, yeah, you could say that in a way, <clears throat> but it was one of those things where you knew having a, a rookie quarterback that there was going to be opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so with, um, you know, with coach making a decision at the time to just keep me uh, on the boundary side, I really knew then, like, okay, this is, you know, this is where the action is. You know, and I have always been a player that, you know, fed off making plays. And so it's just about making those plays when you get that opportunity. That's James Johnson joining us in the Western Pizza Hotline. Thanks to James for taking a walk down memory lane with us in our Where Are They Now segment. And our Where Are They Now segment is brought to you by our good friends over there at Floor Coverings International. Uh, Floor Coverings International is... uh, At the Design Hub, they bring the showroom to you with thousands of samples. Visit FloorCoveringsInternational.com today. They did work for me. I can tell you personally, Shannon and her gang do great work. When we come back, we get a uh, sports ticker for Bronco Plumbing and Heating, and we hear from Scott McCauley, coach of the Regina Thunders. They go for a national championship. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620C.com. We're talking sports on your way home. This is the Sports Cage on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Sports Ticker is brought to you by our good friends at Bronco Plumbing and Eating. For professional services guaranteed. They'll treat you right. 781-2090. Evander Kane to the Oilers out three to four months. 
He had his wrist skated on by Patrick Maroon. And, uh, yeah, blood gushing everywhere, everywhere. But thankfully, he's stable, had surgery, and he will be okay, which is great news. More than I could say for his idiot ex who is on her fans-only page in a negligee showing everything, basically saying, everything's all right over here after he got cut. So you're starting to see. I'm starting to, you know, I wasn't a big Evander Kane fan. I don't know if I am still, even though he's on my team, but I'm starting to like him a little more. Starting to understand what he was going through off the ice. Uh, Tonight in the NHL, the Montreal Canadiens and the... Uh, Vancouver Canucks are in action. Canucks coming off a 6-4 win over the Ottawa Senators. Wild at the Ducks. Uh, Penguins at Capitals and the Hurricanes taking on the Panthers. And our Regina Pats are in action tonight. It's a 7 o'clock face-off against the Edmonton Oil Kings who rolled in here uh, to Moose Jaw last night and lost 7-3. to So uh, they'll be uh, itching for a win against your Pats. And as you heard Kelly Rempel earlier, if you if you caught it, if not, you can catch it out uh, in podcast form later. Our WHL expert, he had said that the Pats better get to winning because they've got a 10-game road trip with aggravation in town, as they always do each year. All right, time to head out in the Western Pizza Hotline. Dinner time, game time, anytime, a great time to order Western Pizza. We're talking with Scott McCauley, head coach of the Regina Thunder, who are going for the Canadian Bowl Championship. But that pales in comparison to life. Scott, my condolences on the passing of your dad. Uh, that's never easy, especially when, uh, you know, it's a busy week for you as it is. But uh, yeah, my thoughts and prayers go to your family. Well, I appreciate that quite a bit. I know that, uh, you know, for us, I mean, it was not unexpected or whatever, but he had Parkinson's or diagnosed when he had Parkinson's when he was 43 and passed away at 76. He was, he was a tough dude, and we're lucky that we got all these extra years with him, but it's also a disease that robs you of the, uh, the quality of your life, right? Yeah. And uh, him passing away is a little bit of a relief as well. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, your dad was, uh, I saw pictures, your dad was around, young uh, Matt and Chase and Susan and you. Well, she always looks good, but the rest of you guys were looking young there in 2013 <laughs> when you won the championship in your first year. Uh, how, obviously, you're going to be thinking of, uh, about your dad. What's the best piece of advice you got from that old bugger, as you like to say? Well, that's, a, that's a good question. Put me on the spot like that. I haven't really reminisced that much yet, but... You know, I kind of like the lesson that I kind of learned from him the most was like work hard and play hard, right? Yeah. The more I kind of thought about it, like, because he loved, he loved working uh, and he definitely had like a lot of friends and spent a lot of time with friends and colleagues. But you know what it really was? It's just about being around people. I think that's a key takeaway that I have right now in my mind as a process everything is that he loved people and, and he tried to treat everybody as fair as he possibly could and, and do the best for the best he could for everybody. Your kids, we've talked about before, play at Winston Knoll Collegiate. They're going to be going into their grade 12 year, but do they hang around the field? Do you, do you incorporate them as much as as you can on a run like this? You know, like any time that, uh, you know, they they got nothing going on, like we try to get them out there, like uh, doing some drills with the boys and things like that, and especially right now, like injuries, guys getting sick, things like that. You know, if they're, they're available, then we'll try to use them to give us some looks and make sure that we're able to capitalize on on practice but uh for me it's you know it's just time it's an opportunity for me to spend some time with them and 
you know, it's on the football field, which makes it even better. Yeah, it's awesome. It's kind of the, the passing of the torch. Your dad with you, and now uh, you with your kids. All right, you also have about 70 other kids that I know are important to you. Uh, a 9-0, and C, or yeah, 9-0, and yeah, 9-0. and You can be 10-0 and if you, uh, check that. You'll be 11-0 and if you win this championship. Uh, what's gone right this year, Scott? I, I talked to Dave Jackson yesterday, and uh, he's talking about a great culture that starts with uh, guys like you and John Tokar. Yeah, like, I mean, we, we said this all, like, last year and stuff, you know, it kind of started during COVID and really developing, like, the culture in our team and not just using it as a buzzword, but really trying to take ownership of that to make it more of a, a player-led team um, <clears throat> or a player-driven team. And uh, the bottom line is they get really paid off. You know, like, these guys committed to the weight room. They committed to each other. I feel like they're playing for a bigger purpose, and that's for for them, for the guys in the dress gym, the past alumni, but also they understand like they're representing the YQR and Saskatchewan football, and they just seem to be getting it done. But you know, like in the past, I'd say some of the issues that we've had is that we've been undersized, you know. And this year, we just we have the horses, we have the guys that are committed to the weight room, and and really worked hard to make sure they got bigger, stronger, and faster. And, and it's paid off, especially now as we get to. Uh, the winter time here. Yeah, what do you know about Okanagan? I know BC teams don't like to roll in here and play in the cold weather, so that's an advantage for you. But I hear they're big on the O line, and they got some big, talented receivers too. Yeah, there's they're, they're three receivers that you know I, I think got some great talents. You know, and uh, the quarterback can definitely deliver the ball. Like he's tall and he's got a strong arm, and he can roll out. And you know, he doesn't run overly too much, but like he has he has done some RPO stuff where he's taking the ball and you know, collected like 20, 30 yards here and there. So, like, he, he's a threat, and they got a great running back. He's fast. Uh, he can cut quick. Um, he's not big, though, but the thing is is that he never goes down on first contact. Like, he's got a little center of gravity and able to run through arms. And I heard Dave yesterday, he talks about their offensive line. They're big. Um, I don't know how strong they are, but they're definitely big, and that always makes things difficult. And then defensive-wise, you know, like, I just kind of watch them as well. Like they got some big dudes on the interior D line, and they got some athletes in the back end, right? So it's 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 going to be an exciting game. Like I just know that they're they're tall, they're athletic, um, and we'll see how physical they are when they get here. So Scott McCauley's ten years older, ten years in between championship games. How is this Scott McCauley as head coach of the Thunder? Uh, other than being older, how are you different than the guy, the wide-eyed guy that took over the team in in your first year and went to a championship? Well, I think I'm still wide-eyed, but uh, <laughs> I think that was the one thing that kind of like, I, I feel now is like uh, maybe you know, I trust more people. I don't need to do everything myself, you know, and not to say I did everything 2013, like I had a great offense coordinator, we had a great defense coordinator at Morgan Bunce, but maybe I, you know, micromanaged a hell of a lot more. And and now, like, you know, like you, you got a guy like Paul Dawson, you know, running the defense, like, you know, it's better for me just to get out of his way. you got a guy like Stefan Ensign that – you know, I think that guy's really growing. You know, like he was really pass orientated, and you know, even if he was running the ball, he had to get back to the pass. You know, we're now like he's kind of wise. You know, like he just sits back and he takes what they give you, and he's okay with running the same play. You know, fifty times in a row, we saw that against Winnipeg. Like he's just <laughs> he's matured. So I'll get out of his way, and, and then we got Brett Strong, who's doing special teams, and he's done a great job this year as a first time coordinator. And you know, like I've, I've tried to help him a little bit, but now he's really matured this year, and or at the later the season, it's time to get out of his way. And Toker's running with the culture and the leadership development stuff, so I'll get out of his way. And I don't know, like <laughs> I think it's more about trusting these guys and 
and knowing that they're going to do a good job and just trying to make sure I empower them and give them all the tools that they need. It's kind of a Frank uh, Frank McChrystal mentality back in the day with the Rams. We both played on the Rams, you a lot younger than me, but it's kind of the best coaches surround themselves with almost better coaches in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you asked me that question before, and, like, I ain't going to be no Frank McChrystal now. I'm still going to be involved with X's and O's and getting down yeah. to the integrity, doing skills and drills and rolling up my sleeves. You know, where he was more like managing and stuff, managing people. Well, mm-hmm. that's where I'm at now. I'm uh, <laughs> trying to manage people, empower them, put them in the right spots, give them all the resources that they need to be successful, and I'll see his work. So maybe I should have just uh, copied what he was doing a long time ago. Well, but, you uh, like you like X's and O's, and I think there was a time when Frank liked it too, but you do like X's and O's, but that's a good uh, question. Do you... Uh do you miss just being the X's and O's guy, not worried about the speech maybe or or cuz you got to you know players take on the uh, attitude and the demeanor of their coach. So I imagine on a week like this, you had a personal loss with your dad uh and then you're trying to get these boys ready to go for a championship. There'll be some nerves and some anxiousness for you too. Are you mindful of that? Yeah, right now I'm just trying to keep going, man. You know, that's all I'm trying to do. So yeah, uh, obviously. Hey, uh, when you're looking at when you're looking at this game, Scott McCauley, X's and O's. What do you guys got to do to beat the Okanagan Sun? Run the ball. I think you know it's cold outside right now, and we got to be able to establish the run. And but uh, you know we have to have some plays off of that as well because you know if they load up the box, we have to have some play action passes or RPOs off of it and some shell passes. You know, um, you know I think on defense it really comes down to as well. Like I didn't answer your question before there. I'm sorry, but That's you good. got me. You finally, I said I wasn't going to cry. I'm a crier, but you uh, got me there. Yeah. But uh, X's and O's, like, on the defensive side, like, they got a great running back. You know, like I said, he ain't that big, but he's he's fast. He doesn't go down first contact. They do some things in offense. I won't, I won't say what it is, but it makes it difficult for us. So we have to stop the run, and, and it's not going to be easy. And once we stop the run and force them to pass, um, you know, they, they can throw the ball too, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll ride that for sure. And then on special teams, like, you know, like that's an area that I always kind of felt we could get the advantage against the other teams is our guys care about it. They work hard with it. Uh, our coaches work extremely hard working on their, their skill development. But, uh, you know, like they got some great athletes back there returning the ball. Like they had the Michael Shea. Who's the son of uh, the coach there at the Bombers? Mm-hmm. Uh, like he's a hell of an athlete, man. He can return the ball, and then got this number seventeen that's like probably faster and stronger than that guy that can can run the ball. He just doesn't get it as much. Yeah. And then there's another dude that I saw on YouTube trying to check back to some of the games at the beginning. You're number six. Like that guy can run too. So <laughs> another day, like it's not going to be easy. That might not be the advantage this this week. It might be more. You know, our guys being physical and, and just going out there and balling. Scott, thanks for your time, man. Our thoughts and prayers out to you. I know your dad's going to be watching from above. Good luck on Saturday. We'll carry that game right here on 620 CKRM. We got to head to a break. When we come back, we are going to get to the Children's Hospital Radio Fun. The wrap up to that with Andrew Dawson and our 5 o'clock news package on 620 CKRM. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Cage. Now back to the action on Sports Radio 620 CKRM. Ah, what a great day. $760,000 for the Jim Patterson Children's Hospital in Saskatoon. Thanks to all our great listeners here across our three stations in Regina. Play 92, 104.9 The Wolf, my old home. And this home now that I'm in, corner 12th and Rose. 
620 CKRM are coming to you live in downtown Regina. Show's brought to you by spreads.ca, where when you sign up using the code CKRM, you get 15 free spins in the slot machine for a chance to win $1 million. Uh, tonight, Connor Bedard and the Pats taking on the Edmonton Oil Kings. Go check it out. We'll have the pregame show at 635, play-by-play from the Brandt Center at 7. We're joined by former great NHL ref and rules analyst on ESPN, Dave Jackson, for first segment of the season. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks for uh, taking my call. I appreciate it. Hey, Mike. How are you doing? Thanks good, for having me. Good, buddy. Have you watched Bedard yet? I don't mean in person, but have you watched any of his games on uh, on TV? And if so, what do you think? I've seen some clips of him on Twitter, but uh, I play hockey on a regular basis <laughs> with uh, Derek Armstrong, Army, and I believe yeah. his, uh, his boy plays there. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Easton Armstrong, yeah, for sure. Yeah, Bedard's going to be... I hear the... Uh, yeah. yeah. I he's, hear the updates constantly on how uh, how good he is. I don't know if he's going to be McDavid-like, but he, he could be like a Patrick Kane, a Braden Point kind of player, which is a, a pretty good comparison. Speaking of Braden Point, his Tampa Bay Lightning played the Oilers last night, and Evander Kane had his wrist sliced. Uh, I don't know if you saw that. Uh, have you ever been on the ice when something that uh, catastrophic or, or something bad like that happens on the ice, Dave? Yeah, I mean, nothing nothing to that degree, uh, fortunately, but uh, I have been on the ice twice. Uh, players have been uh, knocked out cold from uh, fighting, and it's it's a scary it's a scary uh, process. Um, you know the guy's unconscious, and you know the medical teams pop. They just do what they do, and they pop on the ice, and they take care of the player, but everybody just kind of stands around, and everybody's really emotional and not they don't, just don't 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 know what to do, and it's. Uh all right, we're going to uh, take a break and get back with Dave uh, uh, Jackson in a minute here on six twenty CKRM dot com. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the sports cage on six twenty CKRM. All right, we uh, lost our uh, great guest, Dave Jackson, in in the middle of his answer. So, Dave, I just want to pick up from there. We apologize for the technical difficulties. We rejoin him on the Western Pizza Hotline. When something like that happens with Evander Kane and you're on the ice, you talked about a couple of guys being knocked out cold. Does it generally, fighting's, I I, I guess, is different than when somebody accidentally skates over somebody's wrist, as Maroon did yesterday. But does the chippiness ramp up, or does does it kind of bring things back down and kind of deflate the game a bit? I believe it deflates the game a bit. Uh, both times I saw it, everyone, everyone kind of just goes into this mode of, God, I don't know what just happened. And for the next five, ten minutes, people just, they're just sort of robotic and nobody's, nobody wants to hurt anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, there was a, there was a, uh, well, there was a couple scrums in that game. One, I, I forget the Oiler guy, but he uh, he was mixing it up with the Tampa guy, and then the Tampa guy punches the Oiler guy a couple of times in the head, but the Oiler guy's the only guy to get the penalty. Now, I'm not asking you this because you know I'm an Oiler fan. That's not what I'm getting at here. I want to know when an official is there, what's he looking at? Like, why would he, I know you're not there on the ice, but you've been there before. What are you looking at in terms of, okay, that guy's getting a penalty and that guy's not getting a penalty well a lot of times it's all about trying to control the hockey game and trying to send a message so if the game has been getting a little bit chippy and then you sort of warn the coaches you might warn the, the captains you say listen uh, we're done with this we're going to start taking one guy and we're going to take the guy that starts everything so without having seen the altercation i'm saying they warn them and when you see somebody do something you might just say listen it's it's you know it's twofold 
A, you're getting the penalty, and you got punched in the head, but you started it, so you're the only guy that's going to go. Mm-hmm. And interesting, and, and I don't know if you saw the Minnesota one, but Dowdy is working over Kaprizov with the cross checks, and then he gets uh, Kaprizov gets the match penalty because he turns around, and basically cross checks him in the, in the neck, and then Dowdy starts, uh, you know, uh, kind of giving them the whole flap and gums uh, motion with his hand. Uh, what's that like? Is enough? Like, okay, so just take me through this because we've never been there, and I'm not making fun of officials, but I want you to. You're humans, okay? So, 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 yeah. so, so Kaprizov turns around. And smokes him after Dowdy is working him over with the cross checks, and then Dowdy starts motioning there. Does a referee kind of feel like a fool when he, when when Dowdy goes away unscathed and that guy gets a match penalty? In, in general terms, uh, yes, you don't like to be shown up. You don't like to be, you know, you go talk to the player. If it's bad enough, you'd probably give the player a penalty as well for mm-hmm. unsportsmanlike conduct. If right. it's bad enough, uh, in Dowdy's case. You know, I mean, it was a pretty, it was a pretty good swing. Uh, it was, it's fortunate that he didn't hurt him. Uh, but I, I totally support them throwing him out of the game. You just can't take a swing at a guy's head. Uh, I think somebody probably talked to Doughty after the fact. Said, "Listen, you're getting a power play here. Mm-hmm. You know, be, be be sportsmanlike about it. Just stop." Yeah, that would probably be what would happen. Now, Dave, I can't remember if it was you or Tim Peel I was talking to about this. So, if I've asked you this, just humor me and pretend that I didn't ask you this, okay? <laughs> uh, so, when there are penalties in a game, and if there say say Edmonton's got or say Montreal's got six power plays, and now Chicago's got their first or their second, because the other night Edmonton I think had two power plays and Washington had six. Now listen, you earn your power plays in a lot of cases, but as a referee, do you have it in your mind how many power plays each team has? Like, do you keep track of that? Do you know in intermissions? Is that in the back of your mind? Well, people sometimes accuse the accuse of having marbles in each pocket or right. a little clicker on our belt, you know, knowing uh, what the score in the power plays were. But, I mean, to be honest, you go back to the 60s, 70s, I mean, power plays were always, were always sort of even. But in the modern era, we were told to call what's there. We call what you see. Mm-hmm. And if one team ends up taking more penalties than the other, then that's what's going to happen. But having said that, sure, you're human, and you kind of know that, wow, I mean, I've really, I've really stuck into this team, and, and they probably deserve it. But what you want to make sure is, especially if a team is take, sometimes they take it. They know they deserve those penalties, and they're taking their penalties. They're not complaining too bad. And in the back of your head, you're saying to yourself, yeah, don't make one up. Like, don't make one up because that's going to ruin your credibility. But whatever you do, don't miss one. So I'm 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 using Edmonton Tampa as a as an as a kind of a, an example game here. So John Cooper's on one bench, and you got. Uh, Jay Woodcroft on the other bench, okay? Now, you're going, in fairness, treat the guys fairly, but do you, if John Cooper's bitching a little more than Jay Woodcroft, do you give John Cooper a longer leash, so to speak, because he has a, you know, more of a resume, maybe more of a repertoire with you as an official? I don't think so. I think you develop relationships with coaches, uh, and they're independent of other coaches. It's, It's how you relate to that one coach. And I've had coaches that have been in the league 20 years I didn't get along with. I've had coaches that have been in the league one year that you hit it off with really well. Uh, they respect you. You respect them. And it's, it's, a, it's an interpersonal relationship. And it's not one coach against the other. It's how you relate with that coach 
on a one-on-one basis. Now, you call the game how you call the game. Maybe you have your style as a ref. But when you go into a game with, like, a Connor McDavid who can just absolutely fly out there, when you're going into that game, are are you not refereeing it different or but just paying attention to it a little different? Sometimes I think Connor doesn't get some of the calls he gets because, let's be honest, you refs are human, and you're like a lot of the uh, uh, the fans watching or some of the guys on the ice. You're like, what just happened? <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, I used to, I used to, early in my career, I had Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux on the ice yeah. a lot. And it was almost, you take like a mental break. You kind of breathe, breathe a little easier when they left the ice. And then when they came back in the ice, you're just, you're just knowing that they're targets for everybody, right? Yeah. They've got the, they've got the puck all the time and they're game changers. And you're just saying to yourself, okay, the focus is now on this guy. If you miss a penalty on this guy, it's, it's a big deal. So your radar goes up, and it's no different than when a tough guy comes in the ice, guys that are known tough guys. You don't want to pick on them, but you want to know they're on the ice. Yeah, and that's a good point, uh, Dave, just to wrap up. It seems when a guy like McDavid or Vetchkin in his prime or Crosby, when they're on the ice, like when I watch an NHL game, it is the fastest game going in pro sports. Back and forth, guys are traveling at 20-some kilometers an hour. And then when McDavid gets on the ice, it's like when you're in peewee and that one guy's better than everybody else, but the, the pace of the game just seems to pick up to another level. You're right, it's like, it's like everybody's got to be on their toes. Hey, he was in the league my last, my final two seasons. And I think that's when I kind of realized I need to retire pretty soon because (laughs) (laughs) he was a rocket ship, man. Like he'd pick up the puck and you'd just be, you'd you'd start cheating for position because you knew if you didn't get in the right position, you weren't going to make the right call because he is so darn fast. Is this the best the game's ever been in your opinion? I think so, but I think everybody thinks that what is present? I mean, I'm not one of those guys that go, ah, the game was better when it was old. When I started in the league, the game was slow. The people that were hooking, there was holding. We had the red line for two-line passes. There was, there was no offense. Uh, I think the game is great. Athletes are bigger, stronger, faster. Um, you know, I, I certainly couldn't keep up now. I, I've only been off the ice four years, and it's just it's the fastest I've ever seen it. Well, I'm glad you're still playing hockey, my friend. I'm glad you took time to uh, uh, stay with us here after we hung up on you. But uh, thanks for uh, guessing with us, and we'd love to have you on again soon. Anytime, Michael. Thanks. Thanks. Dave Jackson joining us, Rules Analyst for ESPN, longtime NHL ref. When we come back, we'll hear from Joey Alfieri of the Montreal Alouettes getting set for the CFL East Final. This is the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620-CCA. The kings of Saskatchewan sports talk. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Show is brought to you by Spreads.ca. Our text line brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln at the uh, corner of Rochdale and Pasqua. All right, so uh, we got some texts coming in. You can text us, like I said, 936-6262. Mike says, I'm working the Grey Cup, so I will walk by and wave at you, Michael. I'm working, keeping the peace at the Grey Cup. It's awesome. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, are you pumped for the Grey Cup? I know our team's not in it, but we should have some quality football teams here. We're not sure who it's going to be, but I can tell you one thing for free. The Montreal Alouettes and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have never played in a Grey Cup. They've never faced each other. Joining us is their social media manager for the Montreal Alouettes, Joey Alfieri. Joey, how are you, bud? 
I'm good. You can sign me up for uh, Winnipeg, Montreal next week, by the way. I've never been to Regina in November. I hear it's lovely. Um, but listen, the way that I saw the Alouettes play the Bombers this year, I'm not sure that the Alouettes are who the Bombers would want to face because yeah. they played them pretty tight both times. You know what's funny about the Alouettes? They weren't so good early in the year, but they had a handle on all the West teams they played. You're absolutely right. And by the way, Joey, just before you answer that, it is beautiful here. 13 centimeters of snow. It's going to be minus 30 overnight with the wind chill. Doesn't that sound like football weather? Listen to me carefully. If the Montreal Alouettes are playing next week in Regina, I'm going to be grinning ear to ear. And I was telling one of my colleagues at the office today, I said, you're not going to hear me complain once about how cold it is uh, if the Owls are playing next weekend. So, uh, so listen, I'll take it. It'll be minus. It's actually supposed to warm up to minus two or minus three. So it'll be more seasonal. So you'll catch, <laughs> you'll catch your, I remember the last time we had the Grey Cup here, the Riders are playing the Tiger Cats, as you know. And uh, I remember showing up to the very first Tiger Cats practice. And it was a it was unseasonably bitterly cold, and the Tiger Cats were all around the heater on the sidelines, not even practicing. And I'm like, "Oh, the Riders won this Grey Cup. She's done." So back to the Alouettes, man. Uh, since I've been racking my brain here, I know in 2000 Steve Barato took over from Greg Wonderful Mons as the head coach of the BC Lions, and they beat the Alouettes at McMahon Stadium, an eight and ten Lions team. Louis Pasaglia's last ever game, they won that Grey Cup. Uh, but coaching changes during the year don't generally work, and I have to be honest, I was pretty critical of Danny Machocho. What are you doing? Oh, look at the guy makes the change, and the discipline hasn't gotten any better, but uh, I stand corrected. They're looking pretty good, and I actually picked Montreal to win that game on Sunday here, coming up. Yeah, well, um, first of all, in 2000, there should have been a pass interference call on Thomas Haskins in the end zone on a two-point conversion, but uh, I'm over it. It's 22 years ago. Um, but, but <laughs> no, but uh, all kidding aside, look, I think um, it happened with Jim Pop, but they didn't win the Great Cup. I want to say that was 2006. Uh, Montreal lost to right, BC again, right, and right. Uh, Jim Pop took over for Don Matthews, but they went to the Great Cup. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it obviously doesn't work often, but I, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I realize nationally at, when the Owls were 2-6, and six, there's not too many people who believe that they'd get it turned around. But there was a sense of belief. Like, I looked at the roster, and even I thought that they weren't a 2-6 and six roster and that uh, things were going to turn around. And it kind of played out, honestly, the way most of us expected it to. Like, they, they lost a bunch of tight games. Uh, they started uh, West Heavy on the road. Um, the first part of the season. And so, uh, you know, at, at two and six going into Winnipeg, like, was I feeling great about it? Was I feeling great about that game? Probably not. Uh, but I just, I think that a lot of the criticism towards Danny Machocha just was super overblown. Like, the man's a good coach. He's won a great cup as a head coach, uh, won a great cup as an offensive coordinator, uh, won a Vanier cup as a head coach as well. Like, like the man's done everything there is to do uh, in Canadian football. So I get it. I, I like Kahari Jones. I think Kahari Jones is a really, really smart uh, football mind, and he's an even better person. Um, but I, I, you know, I just I think that sometimes you just need some somebody can take you from one step to another, but then you just need somebody else. And it's not to say that Carr is not going to be good somewhere else. I think he's going to be a quality coach. But I just think for this group, uh, they got what they needed. They got a shot in the arm.
And and so I'm not surprised that it turned around, um, but I can see how everyone else was kind of skeptical and critical, no doubt. It's kind of interesting. Uh, these teams have a, have a good collection of running backs. Toronto has Ouellette. Uh, uh, they got Andrew Harris if he plays or how much he plays. They got Leak. And then, of course, your football team, you have uh, Standback back, and you also have that Walter Fletcher coming over from Edmonton. Uh, you know, it's a, a quite a good depth in the backfield for both teams. Man, I'll say this. Like, I obviously knew how good Standback was or how great Standback was, and it's a shame he missed most of the year. But when Montreal made the trade to go get Walter Fletcher from Edmonton for a sixth-round pick, like, I, I knew who Walter Fletcher was. I knew he was a, you know, he was a good player. Uh, but I didn't realize that he was as good as as he's been. Like, he's just been something else. And I know, you know, there were some questions about whether or not he could run between the tackles or not because uh, he was, you know, seen more as a, a scat back or maybe not a scat back, but a guy who was, you know, primarily catches passes out of the backfield who could run outside. But, I mean, he's blown me away uh, with how good he's been. And, and Standback looks like the old William Standback from previous seasons. He looks like he's finally rounding into form. Um, and on the other side, I think you bring up a fair point. I mean, we all know what Andrew Harris has done uh, in the league. Uh, and uh, A.J. Ouellette was really, really good. Uh, a couple weeks ago when they came to Montreal, he ran the ball really well. And so, you know, I, I think both teams are going to run the ball and they're going to try to run the ball effectively, take some of the pressure off of the passing game. But you're right. I mean, there's – and we haven't even mentioned uh, Jesh Renantui, uh, who yes. led the Owls in rushing, by the way, with 600 yards this season. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of good backs uh, on, on both of these teams, and I'm curious to see if, you know, which one's going to stick with the run. You know, I, I, I said this to Glenn Suter yesterday when he was on my show. If you put another zero behind Eugene Lewis's uh, paycheck or a guy like <laughs> Curly Gittens Jr. and didn't tell anybody he's Canadian, you'd say, those are NFL receivers. Like, I don't think they're... I watch Saturdays, Thursdays, Fridays in the CFL, and I watch Sundays probably like you, Joey. And uh, Eugene Lewis is as good as NFL receivers I watch. What a great football player. I mean, physical dude, um, you know, not intimidated by the bright lights. Um, and I mean, just a quality person, you know what I mean? And so you, you put it all together and, you know, to consider, you know, he, he tells the story, we've talked about this, but, you know, in 2019, uh, he wasn't a regular and he was a healthy scratch at one point and there were rumblings that he'd be cut or even be traded and then all of a sudden, uh, they had a game in Moncton against the Argos, and he made some spectacular plays. And since then, you know, he's been one of the elite receivers in the CFL. And really, I mean, he's he's a model of consistency here since that 2019 season. And, you know, he's a big reason why the Alouettes have been able to turn it around since 2019 is that he's been a legit number one guy week in, week out, no matter who the quarterback is. Uh, he shows up to play. And I think this season... Um, just being around the group a lot, I think he, he's he's taken over a big chunk of the leadership role. Uh, you know, he's a real vocal guy. Um, he's a guy who's going to defend teammates on the field. I think you saw it on the, you know, there's a quarterback sneak by Dom Davis, and one of the Ticat defensive backs was, you know, pulling him by the leg, and, and Lewis was the first one in there uh, sticking up for his quarterback. So, you know, he, he's been great on the field. He's been great for them off the field as well. Uh, and I'm with you. You know, I think you know, there's a lot. Of, I watch a lot of NFL football. I love 
love the NFL. I love the CFL. I love college football. I just think that sometimes uh, there are politics that go into play with who makes what football team. Uh, but in my mind, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that Geno Lewis could be playing on Sundays and that he could be productive. I love this league for this reason. The Grey Cup is going to be flown into 15-wing moose job, met by the commissioner and one of the esteemed uh, colonels in the Canadian uh, military. Um, it's going to be, we're going to do a pancake breakfast in Saskatoon and run it down the Highway 11 from Saskatoon to Regina from Wednesday, you know, starting Wednesday morning all the way through the afternoon. You don't see that with a Lombardi trophy. Like this... I, I, I just love the fact it's a grassroots league, and it really brings the country together. And what I like about this uh, coming up here, uh, Joey, is you guys had a great crowd. Uh, BC had a really good crowd. Winnipeg's going to have a sellout crowd. And Toronto's up around 19,000, they're saying. Right around there is what they're looking at. So the, the fans are showing up in money time, which I like. Yeah, and I know, look, I, again, I know um, that – this the league has kind of been under fire here a little bit and it's been criticized since you know especially since uh, post pandemic here but um you know i just being in the building on sunday it was just it was incredible like the crowd created three penalties uh for the uh for the on the tie cats offense and it was all because of the crowd um, so I mean, I, I can I was here. I can speak to this market, but I obviously watched the the, the BC game, uh, the BC Calgary game after, and it was nice to see that one filled out. And obviously, you know, it was my first time uh, in Winnipeg uh, this year, and that crowd was amazing as well. It was super hostile. Regina, I've been a couple times. It's always great. Um, so you know, credit to uh, you know credit to the fans for for showing up in in crunch time. And uh, I know there's a good bunch of uh, there's been a lot of demand. A lot of Montreal fans are going to be going to Toronto too. So I'm happy to hear that the numbers are good in Toronto. Uh, but uh, uh, at least a decent sized chunk of that is going to be people uh, making the five and a half six hour drive. Uh, down the 401 uh, to support the Alouettes, which I think is really, really cool. Well, uh, I got a couple of buddies, uh, guys that I follow, uh, Josh Haggerty and Theron Churchill, Ram and Husky, respectively, on the uh, on the Argos. But, hey, I hope to see you, Joey, and hopefully your team's uh, here and we can uh, break some bread or have a drink together and uh, talk about the Grey Cup. Absolutely. I'd love that. Thanks, Joey. Take care, my friend. Joey Alfieri, the uh, social media manager for the Montreal Alouettes. When we come back, we'll talk with TSN's Farhan Lalji. Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CK. You're listening to the radio home of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. The Sports Cage on 620 CKRM. Welcome back inside the cage. Brought to you by our friends at Spreads.ca. You can use the code CKRM. When you're signing up, and they'll match your first deposit of $25 to $250. Pats are in action tonight against the Edmonton Oil Kings. Oil Kings coming off a 7-3 loss to the Moose Jaw Warriors. Pats have, I think, two more games at home. Like a home game, a road game, a home game, and then they're off for 10 because of aggribition. Or is it because of the Grey Cup? No, it's because of the Grey Cup. Both Grey Cup and aggribition, that's right. Yeah, we got the Grey Cup here. I almost forgot. How do you forget the Grey Cup, man? It'll be here Monday at 15-wing Moose Jaw. This guy will be here, too. Farhan Lalji from TSN, who's out for a run. Farhan, I thought it snowed in Vancouver. Is the snow all gone now? No, man. It's like 7 degrees and sunny. It's been awesome. I'm out here running with my pup, and you actually saved me because it was like, I was three miles into it, and I was feeling it. And I got to get to five, so... 
You've given me a break probably for a mile here, so I thank you. Merry Christmas to me. From yeah, you. that's awesome, man. Is the snow, because I had Suter on yesterday, he told me it snowed, but did it snow in certain parts or not your part or what, or it's gone? Yeah, you know what, it, just, it snowed in certain parts and um, it didn't last long, right? It was just a dusting and yeah. uh, the weather's better. Like, I expect it to be cold. In fact, when I spoke to the Lions on the weekend, you know, they were talking about, yeah, it's, it's been so cold back home just over the weekend and there was a feeling that, okay, well, we'll get to practice in the cold, and that'll prepare us for Winnipeg. Today, did not prepare anybody for Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, how do you do that? Like, when you go to a, when you go to a, uh, a loud environment, like if, Winnip- if uh, you know, BC's going to Winnipeg for IG Field, or they're coming in when the Ryder fans are in full throat, they, they pump the music in, right? A lot of teams do that. How do you prepare for cold yeah. weather if it's not cold? Well, you don't, right? I mean, you kind of draw on past experiences, which most of these guys have, right? I, you know, certainly uh, Nathan Rourke has played in some cold weather games in Ohio. Uh, certainly growing up in Ontario, he would have had that experience as well. James Butler grew up in the Midwest, and, you know, that's going to happen. All these guys have done this before. I truly think cold is overrated in terms of an advantage. I think there's not a single player in professional football that has any interest in playing in freezing conditions, right? I mean, the Calgary players were thrilled to be able to play at BC Place. You're going to get Winnipeg offensive linemen that show up in the pre-pre-warm-up with no sleeves on and T-shirts and trying to pretend it doesn't matter. Nobody wants to play. Now, you might think that you want to play in it, you know, like 50% less than the other guy wants to play in it, but if everybody had the choice, they'd want to do it inside. Cold matters when the game gets one-sided. Like when you're losing and all of a sudden you're down two scores, now it feels like another obstacle you've got to get through. And, And I think... It's at that point where you start feeling the cold. As long as you're in the game and the game is close, I don't think you feel the cold. You feel it when you're struggling. So I'm looking at the weather. In Toronto, they're 17 right now. It's supposed to be plus 5 with maybe flurry, so there'll be a bit of precipitation for that one. In Winnipeg, though, it looks like minus 6 is the forecast. Now, granted, this is Wednesday. That's Sunday. Cloudy, no precipitation. They don't list any wind. Uh, So if it's minus 6 with no precipitation and very little wind, that's the best the BC Lions could hope for in mid-November. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, it's not going to get better than that. Uh, I might even have to ask Sarah Orleski to get me a wind machine, right? She's, I'm hoping <laughs> she left it behind in Winnipeg. Because, you know, so I've been getting the Vancouver fans telling me, hey, put on your flip-flops for this game. We're slides. And I'm thinking, oh, you must have misspelled earmuffs. Uh, because, yeah, I'm not wearing flip-flops. Heck, BC Place, all kidding aside, and it was a cold weekend in Vancouver by our standards. We're soft, I admit it. Yeah. Um, like, BC Place is not heated. It's, it's enclosed. But when 30,000 people are in there, okay, you get the body heat and it feels warm. But, like, the high school playoffs in British Columbia are generally held at BC Place the last couple of rounds. It's colder inside than it is outside when there's no fans there, right? So, you know, when we got there early, uh, three hours before, because I was on the pregame show before the the game in Montreal, it was cold, again, by our standards. Yeah. So, yeah, slides are not in the wardrobe. I will not be packed. Well, I might pack the slides. We're on the hotel, but that's about it. Yeah, so you did a great job on the sidelines, as you always do. What was the vibe like being down there on the sidelines for 30,000-plus there? It was awesome. You know, and I, and I always say when I come to Saskatchewan with the passion for the CFL there that it's like, it's like chicken soup for the CFL soul, and I felt the same way here because it was a bit of a throwback, right? And mm-hmm. this, the amount of work they had to do to get to 30,000, I remember when 30,000 was kind of the norm, right? And so it felt good. It felt good seeing traffic. Like, I hate traffic. It felt good seeing traffic when you came and, and when you left the stadium. But just the vibe was really, really good. And one thing I'll say about BC Lions fans this year, that even when the crowds have been in the teens, right, like whatever, 18, 19,000, 
the people that are there this year have been engaged. Like they, you could tell they were big time into it then. And to have over 30,000 of that type of fan into it again, I think it was good. Right. And just the, the lions reinvigorating the, the province, not just the lower mainland. I think that mattered. I mean, you can appreciate that because the Riders are Saskatchewan's team. They're not Regina's team. Mm-hmm. And so they tried to get the island folks coming over, the interior folks coming down. Mid-afternoon game really lent itself to that, but all of that stuff really, really added to the vibe for sure. Well, TV ratings are in for that game, I guess, and 755,000 watched the Calgary-BC semifinal. It was down from 2021, but bigger than any of the Sunday NFL games on TSN or CTV, the Leafs-Carolina game Sunday, and uh, bigger than the uh, way bigger than the uh, Raptors-Chicago game. So I will say this. Uh, that's the Nathan Rourke effect. Nathan Rourke, uh, he, he gets eyeballs. He's must-watch TV. I, I liken him to the Connor McDavid of the CFL. You got it when he's on. You got to watch the Oilers. You got to stop by the TV. When Nathan Rourke plays, you got to watch BC Lions football, and it's shown with the people that went to that game. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah, could you imagine if it was the Riders in their audience with Nathan Rourke on the other side wow. in a CFL playoff game? Now, that would have been over a million, but... Yeah. You're right. You know, and I've talked to coaches around the league, and they've all got a real appreciation for it. I remember Dave Dickinson telling me a few weeks back that that kid sells tickets. Like, if Bo Levi Mitchell went to Toronto this offseason, would he sell tickets? No. Would he? Like, I, I don't know that he would, but Nathan Rourke, he, he kind of transcends all the arguments people have against the league. And I got into it this year where people are saying, well, or not this year, but like this today, where people are saying, well, why don't you, why doesn't the league have a designated, uh, designated player rule like they do in Major League Soccer? where you could get a guy outside the cap and pay him whatever you want to pay him. Well, who really qualifies for that? Nathan does. And, you know, even though Zach's the MOP, Nathan qualifies because there's other circumstances around his case, right? Because he's Canadian. You know, sure, he's a quarterback, which separates him from an Andrew Harris or, you know, pick another player that you want to throw in there. And he's young, right? So there's so much around his story beyond just the regular player that qualifies him for some sort of marquee status. But the problem is, the second you add something like that, Every team thinks they've got one, and they don't, right? Like, you know, was is Trevor Harris that guy in Montreal? Is Dane Evans that guy uh, in, uh, in um, Hamilton? Is Cody Fajardo that guy in Saskatchewan? Like, hell no, none of these guys are that, right? So mm-hmm. it becomes difficult because when you have that, it changes everybody's expectations, and everyone thinks they're that guy, but they're not. Nathan's the unicorn. So, I, you know, I don't want to see a scenario where you do that because what happens in MLS, it becomes a victory lap for aging soccer players who have name recognition. So now you're going to get the Vince Ferragamo effect again. Yeah. Right? Like, who wants a 34-year-old Joe Flacco to try to have a victory lap in the CFL and struggle because somebody knows his name, right? Like, so I don't want to see that because it's, if it's done for name value, there just aren't enough guys that transcend their market in this league to be classified as a marquee designated player. It doesn't work. I follow you on Twitter, and you were, uh, now maybe it's changed, but as a couple of days ago, you were talking about how maybe interest in Nathan Rourke down south is kind of lukewarm now because of that foot. What are you hearing on that front, if anything? Well, that was part of a larger quote, so I think it's cooled a little bit, but I don't think it's cool, right? Like, I do think there's interest, and I think what's happening here in the playoffs is going to increase that interest. Now, the challenge becomes he's not going to fully be able to get properly evaluated, right? Because mm-hmm. he's, still, you know, he's still dealing with it, right? So do I think teams are going to want to bring him in for tryouts and give him a serious look? Yeah, I do. But I just think that the injury is going to have some effect in terms of just one more question for the NFL, him not being able to run and do full evaluation, and just you know that question around half a season. But look, if he all of a sudden comes back and wins a great cup like that, 
that's probably going to add, you know, add yeah. more value than anything. But uh, look, if he, in my opinion, and I said this before, if Nathan had played the full season and been the MOP, which many people expect he would have if he had been healthy, yeah, I think there would have been enough interest to put him in the right situation. And he's not dumb. He's not going to go to the wrong situation. You and I both know the kid wants to play. Yep. He's not going to be Chris Strebler where he spends three years down there just to earn a pension. That won't happen with Nathan. When he goes down, it's going to be one year, year and a half max. And if he sees that he's not playing, he'll be back here in a second and playing, right? So it's got to be the right situation. Will that happen this year? I'm not as convinced as I was before the injury, but I, I do think there's going to be meaningful interest in him still. Farhan Lalji joining us from TSN. We'll get some predictions from you now. I don't know if you're in the prediction game, but yeah, you are. You've done some before. So how do you see that East final going with the Argos and the Alouettes? That's going to be a good one. I think that's a flip em game. Yeah, you know, it is a pick em. And, and look, this normally I'm good at predictions. I was 0 for 2 last week picking the road games. And now I'm going to pick the home. I'm going to pick the home teams in this one. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that works out. Um, yeah, look, I, I think Montreal in the East is the hottest team in the in the final five to six weeks of the season. I think they've been playing really good football uh, defensively. They're they're physical. They're aggressive uh, offensively. I think their skills, players, their skill set, uh, I think is better. Right? Like I, I, I give I give Toronto the quarterback edge. Right? I think McLeod Bethel Thompson's got the the opportunity to have a bigger game. But I do think Montreal's receivers and running backs are better, right? So, you know, so I'm having a tough time with that one because I totally agree with you. It's a total pick em. I'm, I'm going to take Toronto. They had the week off. They're a little bit healthier. But I could be swayed. In, in the game in the West, here's the thing. Let me stop you for a second before you, before you get there. Let me stop you because last year, I know it was a messed up year, short year. The Riders went in there, and Farhan, you know it like I know it. The Riders should have won that game. Winnipeg turned the ball over five times, and the Riders' offense did not capitalize. They, you know, Winnipeg was sleepwalking in that one. I, I don't know. I, I In this one, I feel BC's got the momentum. They play at a different level with Nathan Rourke. If the weather is not a factor, like I described the start of this interview, give me the BC Lions. Yeah, you know, you could be right, and you're a 1,000% right about last season's game. Here's the difference. The Bombers, as that game proved, and as we've seen in probably half their victories this season, Ballsy, mm-hmm. they can win with their B game, and nobody else in this league can, including the BC Lions. So BC's going to need to play their A game, which they brought against Calgary, and they're going to need to have Winnipeg play their B game again. All right, and and that might not be enough because when you when you look at them like, you go watch Dalton Schoen play, and you know the game against BC was was the, the at the end of the season, BC held him to two catches. Guess what? Eighty four yards. Yeah. Right. Like like large, big chunk plays, and he has the ability to do that. Zach Kolaris, you think you've got him contained? Then he's going to break. He's going to escape, and he's going to hit a big play. Like they do more with less than any team. And believe me, I say that with complete reverence. And when I say less, I don't mean less talent. But they can play their B game and scuffle along for three quarters and have their defense keep them in the game. You know, and we've seen it from start to finish, from the first two games against Ottawa until the end of the season. They don't have to be at their best to win. And that's why I find it so difficult to pick against them at home. That's a good point. Okay, lastly, before I let you go, you watch the NFL too. Josh Allen's got an elbow injury, a UCL. That's what pitchers get. And a lot of times they need Tommy John. Uh, McDermott, the coach, is being very coy, saying day-to-day, we'll see if he plays. What do you What do you think if you were looking into your crystal ball there with your puppy? What do you think for Josh Allen in the future here? I think he's going to miss some time. 
And I say that because he's so important to this franchise, and they're in position with their record that if he misses two games, they're still in position to win the division. Does it make it harder for them with Kansas City, right, because they had the yeah. tiebreaker with the head-to-head win? Um, you know, and that matters, right? I mean, the AFC West, being able to host that game does matter. But I don't think they're going to compromise his long-term for this season and beyond because he is everything. Like, as much as I'm a Patrick Mahomes guy, I think Josh Allen means even more to Buffalo than Patrick Mahomes does to Kansas City. Like, everything, when the world falls apart, he can just go run and get it, right? And, yeah, he's just too – I can't see them risking this injury. You don't want to turn this into a a Tommy John's-type surgical procedure type of situation. So – and when we saw the point spread move the way it did towards Minnesota this weekend or today, this quick, yeah, um, I, I certainly think he's not going to play this week. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. He's competitive; he's going to want to play. But if Sean McDermott is smart, he's going to sit him for a week or two. That'll be fun because Case Keenum's the backup quarterback in Buffalo, the former Vikings quarterback. Thank, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for your time, uh, Farhan. Have yourself a good run or walk or whatever you're going to do now with the puppy. All right, listen, let's uh, let's get together for a, a beer or something maybe non-alcoholic when I'm in Regina. Absolutely, man. Love to, man. Thanks for your time. Farhan Lalji joining me take on care. the Western Pizza Hotline. Yeah, take care, my friend. Safe uh, travels by foot. When we come back, we'll get to some sports uh, stories. And on the other side of 6 o'clock, Hex Heroes and Zeros. And we'll hear from another one of our guests in the Indigenous Sports Spotlight. This is the Sports Cage on 620 CK. Saskatchewan's best coverage of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders is on the Sports Cage, right here on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Welcome back to the show. You can text us 936-6262. Our text line brought to you by Capital Ford Lincoln asking you a couple of questions. Are you pumped for the Great Cup, even though your team's not in it? Great Cup week right around the corner. And what decade would you like to go back and relive? When you were a toddler... Right up to, you know, toddler to 10 or 10 to 20 or 20 to 30, 30 to 40. Most people pick their 30s. They ask senior citizens in North America, 2,500 to 3,000, what they do, and they say they're 30s. I actually, if I could stay kind of late 40s, early 50s right here, it'd be perfect. Your kids are, if you've done it right, they still love you. They still want you to be in their life, but they don't need you. Um, you kind of, unless you're divorced or going through a divorce, you kind of have money. So, uh, more money than you've had. You're more confident in yourself. You really don't care about bullying or anything like that. You don't care what anybody thinks about you. You're just happy just to go home and watch hockey or some reality TV or streaming or whatever. By the way, Colson Schultz here. Are you a, are you a Yellowstone guy? The TV show Yellowstone? I haven't gotten into it yet, but I've got it on my to-watch list. Well, get on it because the two-hour premiere is coming up here on Sunday. It's awesome, man. Kevin Costner. I love it. Um, what what decade? Well, what decade? Was you? You're 25. How have the 20s gone for you so far? Oh, the 20s have been good so far. I've been working a lot, putting all that equity in, right? Getting yeah. The- well, you, you work a lot because how many kids are in your house? So like- I'm the oldest of seven kids in my family. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, your mom and dad are pretty busy, eh? <laughs> they were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they still are. So the well, youngest is youngest is ten, and I'm twenty five. Wow. So are you like a surrogate parent? Like when they want a night off, do you kind of 
run the show a little bit? Back when I lived at home. Yeah, yeah. you moved I, out, eh? Yeah, I moved out <laughs> a month and a half ago. Good but. guy, good guy. Moved out. Hey, uh, let's get to some sports. Uh, Evander Kane's out three to four months. Got his wrist uh, sliced open by the skate of Patrick Maroon. He will be okay, but he's out three to four months. We got the Canadians and Habs getting set to go. Canucks, or Canadians and uh, Canucks set to go. Canucks were in Ottawa last night, won six to four. Uh, what else can we tell you about? Oh, yeah. The Grey Cup will be here Monday, 15-wing Moose Jaw. Then uh, Tuesday, the teams arrive. Wednesday, they start practicing. Thursday's the awards night. Thursday's also when the team rooms get going, including Ryderville. We'll be live from the International Trade Center, ITC. That's where the Ryderville party goes down. We'll be live with the sports cage Thursday and Friday. I'll be emceeing the stage on Friday, presented by Coors Light. These are your... Uh, some of your entertain entertainers, DJ Tolly T, Wonderland, Dead Levy, Dangerous Cheese, One More Time, Breaking Curfew, Vinyl Society, The Steadies. We've got Colin James doing the kickoff show, tailgate show. We've got, I think, Took's going to be playing somewhere. Uh, I think the Capitol Auto Mall stage, if I'm not mistaken. And... Tegan Little Chief will sing the national anthem, so that's some uh, good news. We'll also have our halftime guest joining us on the Sports Cage uh, next week. We will be your official Grey Cup station. We've got the uh, Western uh, Final here, the BC Lions broadcast. We'll have a three-hour pregame show before the BC Lion broadcast. Only here in Saskatchewan would you broadcast a three-hour pregame show when your team isn't in the Grey Cup. But we are going to do that and pick up the Moj and Julio Caravana's uh, broadcast from BC as we are cheering for the Lions here in Saskatchewan for sure. And a reminder, AGT Foods presenting the, the Regina Thunder versus the Okanagan Sun right here on 620 CKRM. Your voice for football at all levels is right here 1245 pregame one o'clock kickoff we'll be back with hex heroes and zeros after six and our indigenous sports spotlight this is the sports cage on 620 ckrm.com the sports cage is your locker room pass we're talking riders on saskatchewan sports radio 620 ckrm time to head out in the western pizza hotline for hex heroes and zeros with two-time Grey Cup champ Jeff Heck with the Bombers, with the Stampeders. Hey, Jeff, um, did you like this time of year? Did you feel like it was real football weather this time of year? Uh, yeah, I do. Uh, I'm more of a traditionalist when it comes to the CFL. I think it is playoff weather. Also, I'm a defensive player. I'm a special teams player. The, the weather always sways in favor of the defense. It slows down offenses. It slows down people to uh, my speed. So it was always advantageous to me. As a football fan, no, I don't like the weather being such a major factor in the games. I think it takes away from the quality of the game, the excitement of the game. Uh, so as a purist, I do enjoy you know the cold weather games, and it is a uniquely CFL playoff football when there's uh, guys shoveling the lines at halftime, but as a spectator and as a fan, it's not the most enjoyable product. Well, I'm glad I got your opinion because everybody who listens to this show knows mine. I don't like it. Let's get to your heroes and zeros. Let's start in reverse order. Let's go with the zero first. You give me one zero, Jeff. Yeah, one zero for me is um, really the Hamilton Tiger Cats this year. Uh, their whole organization kind of uh, their expectations were high. They had what was perceived as two franchise quarterbacks at the end of last year. They end this year with what is now zero franchise quarterbacks. Uh, they brought in 
Ed Hervey and Kamari Jones midseason. They've got all of this brain capital, and they just can't seem to get on the same page. They can't put the product on the field. They've got some aging superstars, uh, the leaders in that team, Van Zyl, Simone, these type of guys. Their age is showing. Their quality of play is diminished. Their injuries are, are peaking. They're at a real big point in, in where their direction of their organization wants to go. I'm hearing people calling for the offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, Steinhauer's job is, is more or less safe given his resume from what it sounds like. Maybe he looks elsewhere. But they need to really reshape that organization. They need to get to a point where everybody knows who's leading the team. They've got so many cooks in the kitchen right now, as we talked about maybe six or seven weeks ago now, that it's becoming a problem. When you have you know all of these leaders in the office, you have no leaders. And the, the, the icing on the cake is uh, they got Tyrese Bedbread who was on their team. He's playing in Montreal. This guy's playing lights out football. He, uh, he just has a knack for making plays when they matter. Certain defensive players make plays all the time, but there's certain defensive players that I've played with in the league that just have this knack of when they make a big play, it's at a big time. And, you know, guys like Willie Jefferson, uh, Keon Raymond in Calgary, I'm not saying he's on, he's, he's on the caliber of these players, but this innate ability to make a play when the game is on the line, when, when the team needs you to make a play, to have them, uh, essentially he seals the game with a, a strip sack fumble at the end of the game on his former team and a team that uh, has a long way to go to rebuild and kind of find their direction uh, going from, you know, Mazzoli and Dane Evans debate to now they have uh, no quarterback, really. Let's go with your first hero, Jeff Hecht. My first hero is uh, Danny Machocha. What he's done in Montreal, uh, we've talked about it many times. Nobody talks about Kahari Jones in Montreal anymore. Nobody talks about the coaching controversy or whether or not he should be the head coach. It's undoubtedly inarguable that he should be the head coach of Montreal. He probably should have been at the start of the season, given uh, their results. Now, I will, I will tell you, I hold a personal grudge against Danny Machocha because of what happened to the, uh, you know, the Edmonton Eskimos in 2006, missing the playoffs. I grew up an Edmonton Eskimo fan. I coined the term at that point, Danny No Coach. Before, before there was Cody Fajardo, there was Danny No Coach, and I always <laughs> I had animosity against him as a fan and, and how he, he let down me as a fan of the organization. But he has turned around the Montreal Alouettes in less than a season. It goes to show you that there's no rebuilding in the CFL. If you get all the pieces in place and the right leaders in place and you have a decent enough roster, I mean, we've talked about it many times, the parity in rosters across the CFL, it's not a big gap between the last first team and the first place teams as far as quality of football players. The big gap to me is quality of leadership and quality of coaching. And he has turned that team around. And depending on the weather in Toronto, I think they have a really legitimate shot at winning the East Final. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. Okay, uh, give me your next zero, Jeff Hecton, heroes and zeros. My next zero is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point to a friend of mine, Eddie Steele, and everybody like him that two months ago said Bo Levi Mitchell was washed up, he was done, his career is over, he, he, it's time for him to hang him up. It's, it was ridiculous then. It's even more ridiculous Monday morning after what he did in the fourth quarter of that game. I don't know why he didn't come in at halftime. Uh, I, I think, obviously, Calgary has a, a unique ability. The Calgary Brain Trust of Huff and Dave have a unique ability to understand that they're not always playing the game in front of them. They're always, they're always thinking ahead, and they realize that Jake Mayer is the future 
you know, six, eight, ten years, twelve years of this club. So they need to, you know, let him learn some of these learning opportunities. But both should have been in halftime. I think they had a legitimate shot. If he did come in in half, they had a legitimate shot when he came into that game. He was throwing absolute dimes. The receivers were playing at a higher level. The team, the Calgary's team was playing the same way BC team played last week when Nathan Rook came off the IR. I agree. They were all energized. They, they, I don't care what anyone says. Bo Levi is still, the, you know, up until yesterday, I guess they're done. He was still the leader, the fire, the reason those guys played. He, he was the man, the general. Um, the sweet stakes is on now. His stock just skyrocketed, even though I thought it was high. As we've we've exchanged on Twitter the last couple of days, there's a lot of teams. His phone right now is ringing off the hook. He's probably got it plugged in. The battery's constantly dead. This is a guy in high demand. And Hamilton, we just spoke about these teams. They are going to be in hot pursuit of this guy who has maybe three to four to five more years of prime football. He showed that he is still uh, a top four quarterback in the CFL. And it's inarguable now. Yeah, I, I'd actually even put him at three. To be honest with you, I don't. Uh, he's he's in a tie for three with Jake Mayer because Mayer hasn't proven it over a long stretch. So we shall see. And your uh, your last hero, Jeff Heck, heroes and zeros. My last hero is Lamar Doman, the new oh, yeah. fresh owner of BC. Um, they packed the house. They turned the team around. Nobody thought this team was going to be this competitive. Nobody thought this team was going to be in the hunt for a home playoff game. They were playing at a high level with a quarterback that could, you know, barely walk. I mean, this this kid is special. His uh, his maturity, his leadership, the ability for him to command the attention and respect of, of veterans like T.J. Lee and, and Brian Burnham and these really, really experienced guys are following what is a child in, in, the, in the pro football game. And this kid has risen to the occasion. But what Amar Doman has done with, with the BC Lions, turning that franchise around, the buzz, the, the jerseys in the crowd, the fans were ecstatic. Um, he's done an exceptional job. And again, like Danny Matroch has done with the quality of playing on the field, Amar Doman has shown you what you can do with a franchise. You can turn it around in one year. They can, you can go from in obscurity to they couldn't give away tickets to BC Place last year to packed house. Uh, fans are going crazy. Their season tickets this offseason are going to be absolutely through the roof. If somehow, some miracle, they manage to bring work back into the fold, this is going to be one of the most populated stadiums in the league next year and, and, and into the, the next few years. And, you know, as I've always said, it comes down to leadership. Everything always comes down to leadership. And what he has done with that entire brand, the entire organization, uh, is quite impressive. And the, and the, and, the, the ZFL's future is bleak in a lot of respects, but in, in BC, the, the future has never been brighter for the BC Lions organizations and them staying in Vancouver. Yeah, and Nathan Rourke is kind of the equivalent of Connor McDavid in, uh, in the CFL because he does, uh, he is must watch TV. There's no doubt about it, as evidenced by the sellout standing room only crowd for the West Final coming up. Uh, minus 10 weather expected, Winnipeg and BC. Before I let you go, last time I'll talk to you before those uh, finals, CFL finals. Uh, so who do you got? Montreal, Toronto. Uh, I still have Toronto. I think the home field advantage, the bye week is so much more valuable than people think. Um, I think the weather is going to be a little more advantageous for Toronto's offense and Montreal's offense. The, the way they, they ran the ball last week was, was special uh, against you know, a Hamilton team that wasn't, wasn't that competitive at that point. Uh, I think Toronto's defense is going to be too much for them. 
uh, and uh, the, the week-long rest and, and Toronto getting some of their defenders fresh and healthy, they're just going to be too much. Uh, but I think it's going to be a really great game. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers were lucky to win the West Final last year. The Riders, of course, uh, the Riders won the turnover battle, and Cody Fajardo could not get it done. The Bombers were sleepwalking through a good chunk of that game and should have lost, but didn't. They better not sleep on the BC Lions this game. I don't think this is going to be a rubber stamp Winnipeg victory. How do you feel? Yeah, I think I think you're right. The, the weather is going to be again favorable to, to Winnipeg and their style of offense. They like to run the ball first. Um, James Butler was pretty banged up. Hopefully, he can play in the West Final. If BC can get uh, Joel Figueroa back and then get Lucky Whitehead back, who were two or two guys that were kind of last minute, maybe going to play in the semifinal. If they can get them back, that's going to be massive. Don't I mean on paper it is it is it, this game is over on paper. But if you go, you know we both know momentum is a real thing, and you can feel it and the energy. And every single BC Lions player right now, in my opinion, is playing beyond their capabilities because of this young leader. Do not underestimate what they'll do for him. Um, I would bet money on BC, on Winnipeg. I want the BC Lions to win. You know, as as we've always discussed. He's the greatest story in the Canadian Football League this year because he's Canadian, and he wouldn't be in the CFL at all if he wasn't Canadian in the first place. So it'd be great to see him go on. It's reminiscent of the 2011 BC Lions where they're peaking at the right time. But I think it's just going to be too much for them. I think Winnipeg is too experienced, too physical in the snow, and and it's going to be tough to overcome. But that game is going to be very interesting. You're absolutely right. I agree with you 100. percent If if but the funny thing is, and it's it's unfortunate for Doman and the Lions because if Nathan Rourke stayed healthy, this game is a good chance. This game is played in BC, and then look out, could be a different story, right? It just this is where home field advantage could play a huge part. Yeah, you're definitely right. Um, if Calgary had won the semifinal, mm-hmm. I would have bet them to beat Winnipeg in the snow. Calgary's more built for what we call, you know, the CFL, yeah. as we discussed at the Open, the CFL playoff weather with Kadeem Carey and their running backs and their offensive line and their ability to run short passes. They're much more built for it. BC is built for the track, for the dome, for inside. Um, if Nathan Rourke stayed healthy, you know, I couldn't imagine how good they would be peaking right now. I think you're right. They probably have a home playoff game. They're a much different team. Uh, but you know, football and injuries—that's that, that's part of the game, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it is—it is funny. You don't see it often in the CFL—a dome team versus an outdoor team, like you do in the NFL, because there's so many different indoor and outdoor stadiums in northern, southern United States. Climate changes. Uh, I think Calgary beats Winnipeg in the West Final. I think Winnipeg beats BC in the West Final. Uh, for the cold weather reasons. So, and lastly, Jeff, I like this discussion because I did pick on my ballot the outstanding Canadian against Curly Gittens Jr. I took Nathan Rourke, even though he only played nine games. And it's why I gave serious consideration to Nathan Rourke as my MOP. Just what you described. He has changed the entire mentality and complexion of this team. He is more valuable to his team than Zach Kalaros is to his team, and I will stand by that. 
Yeah, you're probably right. The, the the vernacular of what we call our MVP, it's the it's not the most valuable player in, in the Canadian football league. It is the most outstanding player. And I don't think you can give it to a guy who played nine games. Just like I don't think, uh, I think Curly Gaines is the most outstanding Canadian. But last year I also thought Nick Dempsey was undoubtedly the most outstanding Canadian. He lost that award in his own conference, right? So everybody's perception, the, the criteria for voting, as you know, is very abstract it's very obscure it's more art than science right um if nathan Rook played the majority of the games now now it's a different discussion he played half of the games and um i just don't think that's enough to warrant uh the most outstanding player in the entire league but it depends how you interpret it and, and depends he is for sure the most valuable uh player in all of the cfl if we're talking on field, but we're also talking about the brand ability, the value of the CFL brand as an entire uh, commodity. He is for sure the most valuable single person. I just don't think he he can win those league awards by playing 50% of the games. Jeff, thanks for your time, man. Enjoy the uh, finals this weekend. Not CA. Nobody covers your team like our team. This is the Sports Cage on the Mighty 620 CKRM. Funny, uh, life is about perception and facts are negotiable. My grandpa always said that. So, Three Down Nation, who I like, they, they post that the TV ratings are down 27% compared to last year for the CFL semifinal Sunday. But the 755,000 that did watch the game um, did better than uh, the NFL games broadcast on TSN or CTV, better than the Raptors-Chicago game, and better than the Leafs game. So there's that. That's perception. Also, you got to remember something. Last semifinals last year, why is it down 27%? Because the Riders aren't in it. People hate Saskatchewan for that reason. They think we're arrogant when we say this. Maybe there is a bit of arrogance. But my grandpa also told me this. It's not bragging if you can do it or if you do it. When the riders are good, all the attendance goes up across the league. Don't you think that game, if it was a semifinal game between the riders and the Lions, it would have been around 40,000 because of the tractor factor? Do you not think if it was the riders versus the Lions in that West semifinal that we would have been over a million people and the attendance would have been way better? So it's all perspective. Hey, speaking of perspective, we Listen, I've played against a lot of great indigenous athletes who, because of one reason or another, didn't quite get maybe to the level that they should have just because they come from a different background, economic factors, that type of thing. And I'm not saying that to be disparaging because I didn't come from a lot of money. I remember the first time we played in a hockey tournament with contact. We played in Fort Capel in a hockey tournament. Whoa. That team from Lestock kicked our ass, man. They destroyed us. Uh, I We like to highlight once a month, uh, we call it the Indigenous Sports Spotlight. Either athletes, builders, coaches uh, who have been instrumental in a, and have turned some heads in the Indigenous sporting world. And we're joined by Josh Montana. Hi, Josh. How are you, bud? Good, good. How are you doing? Good, man. So, first off, tell us a bit about your sporting background because you did play uh, baseball down in college, right, in California? Yeah, yeah, I was on a scholarship out there, and I, I finished up my schooling down in California. So, where'd you go to school? Where'd, where'd you go to school down there, and how did you end up going to uh, college in in California? 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of had to choose. Well, growing up in Saskatchewan, you usually play hockey all winter and, and baseball all summer. So when I was coming up about 14, 15, I had to make a decision. And, and from there, I kind of go to tournaments down in the States. And I knew I wanted to live somewhere hot and not in the snow 12, 12 months a year. So <laughs> I kind of wanted to pursue that. Um, so I went to Kenyatta College in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, nice. So, uh, first off, where did you grow up in Saskatchewan, if you don't mind me asking? I grew up in Regina, so oh. I'm, uh, I'm a North of Dudney kid. Yeah, I was an NOD guy, too, for a lot of my... <laughs> now, I'm, now I'm White City, so that's south of Dudney and east, but yeah, I'm, uh, I was an NOD guy. So, where'd you go to high school? Uh, so, I actually went to uh, the Martin Sports Academy there when it first opened. I was the oh. inaugural class. I was going to say, you must have been one of those inaugural guys. So why did you, so you did play hockey back in the day, Josh? Yeah, yeah, I did until about Bantam when I knew I had to choose. Okay, and why did you choose baseball over hockey? The weather obviously Uh, played a factor, but what else was it? A little bit better at, a little bit better at baseball. I think in in hockey, you got uh, the Bantam WHL draft, and if you don't go in there, it kind of gets slimmer picking to the next level, so. Yeah. So, uh, Josh Montana joining us here for the Indigenous Sports Spotlight. Now, you played what position in baseball, Josh? Uh, I was a first baseman. Okay, first baseman, left or righty hitter? Uh, Lefty. Uh, Chicks dig the long ball. Were you a home run hitter, or were you, uh, like, uh, get on base and steal bases and stuff? No, no, I was was a long ball hitter. Ah, swinging for the fences. Okay, so when you were down there, you came up here, and you play fastball. Tell us about that journey. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, kind of grew up around my family in small town Saskatchewan. A lot of people would play fastball because they didn't have access to baseball. So it was kind of like, uh, I guess, a backup kind of when I moved home. So fastball um, kind of got onto that and, and got a little bit better um, playing around Saskatoon. And then finally this past year, I cracked the uh, junior men's national uh, Team Canada roster, so for Pan American Games and the World Baseball Softball Classic. Now, you were supposed to play in a high-level tournament in Guatemala, but uh, Mother Nature had a different uh, plan. Yeah, yeah. So we are actually supposed to be down there in October for about two weeks, um, I guess two weeks ago, but uh, there was a big um, hurricane that's been happening down there, so yeah. it didn't work out. So does that get pushed? Do you guys get to do a makeup there? How does that work? Yeah, yeah. So we do a makeup next year now. So same place, same tournament, just a year later. Awesome. How long do you plan to play fastball for? Well, until I can't walk anymore. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, so what do you do away from the sporting world in in uh, in life? Yeah, so I am the vice president of stewardship and relations uh, for Wasitawak Limnos Consulting Services, so an environmental consulting firm. Uh, may- mainly based in the industry in Canada, so oil, gas, and potash. Oh, nice, man. So in the Indigenous community, you're, you're, uh, you're making your way in the business world, as you just said. You're well-spoken, and you're, you're a high-level athlete. Do you look at yourself as a role model in that community? And, and talk about that maybe for a minute. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There, there is a, a sense of, of being a role model, and, and with that comes... I guess a responsibility for me to give something back to the indigenous community because they've always supported me. So I definitely, I value that. Um, 
I host that as, as one of my essentials, kind of in the business and sporting background and making sure that I'm giving back to, to my people. Okay, and so uh, do you have a message for, your words, not mine, your people, the Indigenous community listening, maybe the uh, the, the next uh, Josh Montana that wants to be an athlete and be like you uh, after sports? Yeah, yeah, I guess my message would just be to have fun and, and soak it up and that uh, that you belong there. You know, a lot of a lot of times I feel like growing up, some Indigenous people, kind of like when I came on, um, they don't come from the for the best background, or maybe they don't have access to the best best sports, the best clothes. But everybody deserves to be there, and everybody should be given a fair chance. So just play hard and and always look forward and have fun. Yeah, and you know what? You probably heard me intro you. That's what you know. I feel like there's a lot of great. There's a, probably a lot more Jordan tutus out there than we think. You know what I mean? A lot of great athletes in all different sports, and for one reason or another, they just couldn't make it. That's why things like kids sport are so important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I totally agree with you, 100. percent Josh, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate you guessing with me and what I think is an important feature that we want, uh, run once a month. Thank you for your time. Have yourself a great rest of the day. Stay warm. Yeah, thank you. You too. That's Josh Montana joining us, Indigenous Sports Spotlight. That's going to do it for our show. Coming up, though, we got Regina Pats Hockey with Dante DeCaria, the Edmonton Oil Kings in town. Tomorrow, we got a great show lined up. We're going to have Glenn Suter stop by, Aaron Anderson to talk about Regina High School Athletics, Scott Flory from Regina, head coach of the U of S Huskies, trying to win their back-to-back Hardy Cup championships, and... Ben Hebert joins us in studio to talk curling. His buddy, Bo Levi Mitchell, will get his thoughts on the CFL finals. He loves talking sports. We love having the colorful Ben Hebert in studio tomorrow. This has been the Sports Cage for Spreads.ca on 620 CKRM. Today's Sports Cage has come to a close. Miss a segment? Download or stream the podcast now at sportscage.ca. Get your sports straight from the source. 620 CKR.